Well, hey, uh, good morning. Will you grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans? We as a church are systematically working through the book of Romans. We're in chapter one. Uh, last week, Pastor Greg took us through five verses, so we'll pick up in verse six uh, this morning. Uh, and there's a couple of things that we know in Romans right now. Uh, we know that Paul wrote Romans. He opens up, says uh, this letter's from Paul, and he self-identifies as a slave of Christ. Doulos is what we talked about uh, this last week, meaning he, he doesn't belong to himself. Uh, he says that he is set apart for the gospel um, of God. And uh, we've titled this first section, a, a Statement to the World. So as a team, we've gone through Romans, and we broke up Romans into 10 different sections. Uh, most theologians that will study Romans will say there's kind of four major themes that Paul works through, but we kind of sectioned it up into 10 little bite sizes. So right now we're in section one. Uh, it's verse one through 17, and we've titled it A Statement to the World. Why? Uh, because for the world at this time, for humanity, the Mediterranean was the known world. Uh, and Rome was the center of it. Paul had this belief, if I could uh, display the gospel in Rome, in the world's most powerful city, then the world would know it. And guess what? 2,000 years later, we're here uh, talking about it this morning. Um, and so as I study Romans, as I study this intro, verse 1 through 17, uh, I've been presented with a question from the Lord, and I, I want to ask you it as well. Um, has the gospel of, of Jesus Christ completely transformed every part of who you used to be. And because of this transformation, do you see the world with just a different lens? Like when you wake up and you see people, do you just see the world differently when you go to work or when you make decisions? Do you have just a, a different lens because of the gospel? It's impossible for me to read through Romans, even in this intro, and miss that the gospel is actually transforming Paul. I think we forget that. Paul was a man who was completely transformed by the gospel. And I'm going to ask you this question as, as we work through it, but we're in verse 6. We'll pick right back up from last week. Uh, verse 6 and 7, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Uh, if you're ready, say I'm ready. Okay. It says this in verse 6. You are among those who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Will you look at your neighbor and say that you belong to Jesus Christ? Okay, turn the other way and say, hey, we belong to Jesus. Oh, it's beautiful news. It says, dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly, and he's called you to be his very own people. May grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to do a history lesson this morning as well. Uh, I, I think it's important to understand uh, some of the history of, of when Paul is writing. It's going to help us really understand why he's writing what he does, because he's going to shift his tone back and forth. And in, in AD 49, uh, Claudius was the emperor of Rome, um, and, and something happens in AD 49. All of the Jewish people are kicked out of Rome. Uh, even if you were a Jewish Christian, in Rome's eyes, it was all the same thing. If you were a Jew, uh, you were to pack your bags and leave Rome. That's until five years later when Claudius dies uh, in AD 54. Something that I think is important to understand is one of the reasons that Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome was because there was so much tension and fighting between Jews and, and, and Jewish Christians. 
And something is important to really highlight. For five years, the Jewish people were out of Rome, but the gospel was not. The gospel continued, and Gentiles would have stepped in and began to kind of lead some of these house churches that were planted. The gospel kept moving. Paul's letter arrives around AD 57. This is about the same time when the Jews are, are returning because uh, Claudius dies and so did his edict. So Jews began to come back five years later uh, and return to some of these house churches. We can totally conclude that uh, this tension and this fighting, it probably got worse. It probably increased. Could you imagine planting a, a house church with these Jewish conservative kind of things that you've learned growing up? You fell in love with Jesus. You planted this church. You began to build systems and you had some of your own history and culture with it that you brought to it of what you wore and what you ate and, and, and how you did things. And then you had to leave for five years. You came back and you realized that these people that were insane before they met Jesus were now running the church. And now you're back and there's division. A lot of it. So Gentiles had five years to really step in and run some of these, these churches. At the very least, things are, are just a bit out of control right now. Why is this important? Because throughout Romans, Paul is going to talk to Gentile and to Jew, and he kind of shifts back and forth. And it's important to understand, okay, historically, there was quite a bit of tension going on. So when Paul says... Hey, you're among those who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's really making this statement to bring healing and comfort to these people. I'm sure there were a lot of Gentiles that were sitting there that maybe felt like they didn't belong or they, or they weren't supposed to be there. There was a, a teaching in Jewish culture that really was the Jew first. And Paul in this statement is saying, hey, regardless of, of how you grew up, regardless of what family you were born into, you all belong to Jesus and he loves you very, very much. I'd love to suggest that when you belong to Christ, every step that you make going forward is intended to be shaped and molded by his love. When you say, hey, I'm one that's been transformed by the gospel, I now belong to him, that means every decision that you make moving forward has a different lens. You actually see through his love. And Paul's going to continue uh, in verse 8. He says this. He says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God whom I serve with all of my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Every time that Paul prays in the scripture... Uh, I'm extremely uh, convicted and inspired at the same time. And I feel like the Lord has been asking me a question <clears throat> as I study this. And he says, Trav, what does your prayer life look like? And more than that, what does your prayer life look like when the world around you is just a bit out of control? When, when things start to get a bit crazy? Because we have to understand, knowing some of the history now, the world around Paul is out of control. Like, like things are, are, are really messed up right now. Like the, the Jewish people were kicked out of Rome. They're returning. There's division within the church. A, a few years after Paul's letter arrives, Christianity is declared illegal. 
So for you to be here right now and, and to worship uh, and to celebrate Jesus and, and to study, you'd be a criminal for doing that. For the next like 250 years, it's estimated that a little over 2 million people were murdered just for putting their faith in Christ. Paul goes to Rome and, and he's beheaded for his faith uh, in Jesus. So to say that um, the world in, in Paul's life is out of control is really an understatement. And, and this is how Paul is praying. Are, are you ready for it? He says, thank you. Thank you. He's not panicked. He's not in a hurry. He just says, thank you. He, he, he says, let me first say that I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. How in the world is Paul able to pray like this during this time? If I'm honest with you, it seems like a really bad prayer. Like he, he should be praying for safety. He should. He should be praying for strategic wisdom and how the church is going to operate in the world's most powerful city where the government can really kind of do anything that they want because like socially and politically and everything going on right now was out of control. And Paul just says, hey, I just got to thank Jesus for a moment. What does your prayer life look like when the world around you is out of control? It doesn't seem to be a biblical idea to be praying with panic and angst and worry and fear. I've started to learn that uh, my prayer life is, is usually a, a good indicator of who I belong to. Because I don't know about you, but the last few years, my prayer life has kind of been about me, myself, and I. And how my world feels. And what's going on in front of me, Paul doesn't even talk about it. We have to study history to understand what happens. Paul's just giving thanks. What is he giving thanks for? He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. So there's a word here that, that we have to understand as we work through Romans. And it's this word faith. Paul's going to use it 62 times in the letter. The word in the Greek means a heartfelt trust or confident commitment. So I want to read this to you again. Paul, in the midst of chaos, is giving thanks. And he says, I give thanks for all of you. Why? Um, because your opinions about the social climate and the government are being talked about all over the world. No. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm giving thanks uh, because your, this new idea that you found and you were able to articulate it so well is being talked about all over the world. No, Paul's saying, hey, I'm giving thanks in the midst of this craziness because the world around you is talking about your confident faith in this one man, Jesus. Why do we think that 2,000 years later something has shifted and changed? Could I suggest that the world around us is, is actually longing, Paul will say in Romans 8, that creation is eagerly anticipating people to meet Jesus. The world around us is longing to talk about our confident trust in Jesus, not the opinions that we carry around. The simple gospel hasn't changed. It's the same thing. This isn't a new idea. Romans will really speak for itself. 
And it's talking about our faith in this one man, Jesus. Paul's going to continue in, in verse 10. So one of the things I always pray for uh, is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. So we clearly see in Paul's introduction uh, in Romans, he has such a desire to be face-to-face with the church in Rome. That's obvious. And there's just one thing I want to point out. Um, Because for Paul, even 2,000 years ago, writing a letter wasn't enough for him. Like, he really wanted to be uh, face-to-face. And if you've ever traveled or been away from people that you love, you understand this. When you travel away from family, it's not the same to just shoot a text message or call them, or even with technology, to FaceTime. It's not the same as as actually being face-to-face. And I would just love to suggest that the people of God... We're always intended to meet together face to face, to encourage one another, to be encouraged, to challenge one another, to to be challenged, to serve one another. And even 2,000 years ago, just writing it, it wasn't enough. Paul had such a desire to be present, to engage with the world around him, even when things were out of control. And for some reason, over the last few thousand years, there's a belief that has crept into culture that I can encounter Jesus, I can be transformed by the gospel, and I don't have to participate with the world around me. That's not a kingdom idea. You won't find it in the scriptures. It's not real. And I I know that engaging with the world around you is is really difficult. It it is. Uh, Especially even at church. I mean, it's tough. I totally get it. But could you imagine if Paul was transformed by the gospel, met Jesus, his life was changed, and he just chose not to engage with the world around him? I think there's a lot of us in this room that have really met Jesus, have had some deep encounters with the Lord, but are so frustrated and, and, and so struggle with just engaging with the world around you. And could I just say that by doing that, we are actually being robbed by the gift that God has placed inside of you. Christianity was never intended to just be a spectator sport where I can encounter him and then I can just kind of watch and say, well, I really like this, uh, but I don't like this. And, well, I really like this. Now, Paul has this desire to be in the face of all of it because he's being transformed. That's why he's going to say in verse 14, if you go there with me, he says, for I have a great sense of obligation to people, both in the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. There's a word here. Uh, that just leaps off the page for me. And when you study it, it's interesting. It's this word obligation. Paul says, I have a great sense uh, of obligation. The word in the Greek, it means one in debt, one who owes, bound by duty. And as I read this, I'm reminded of an Old Testament story uh, because like Paul will say in his introduction, the Old Testament actually prophesies 
of Jesus. And it's a story in 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a story of these four men that have leprosy. Uh, and, and they're going to die. They've, they've come together and said, hey, we, we know that we're going to die. And what's worse is there's a famine in the land. So people are literally starving to death. So they've said to themselves, hey, we're either going to die from leprosy or we're going to starve to death. Either way, we're going to die. But we know that the enemy is, is camped out not too far away. Maybe we can go to them. They'll take us as prisoners and give us a meal. Maybe they'll kill us. Either way, like we're going to die. That's the bottom line. They get it. And so they do. They, they walk to the enemy camp and there's nobody there. They heard about Yahweh and all of them fled. And there's this uh, hilarious, to me, it's hilarious picture in the Old Testament of these four men uh, with leprosy, and they're going tent to tent, and they're just stuffing their face with food. They found food. I, I just picture this guy, like, pouring wine all over himself. Like, it says that they were taking gold and putting it on top of them. They were actually burying and hiding the gold because they found so much. It's like this apocalyptic picture. It's the end of the world. These four men with leprosy found food, and they're just stuffing their face. And it's like, it's crazy until we get to verse 9 in 2 Kings chapter 7. Because in verse 9... It says, finally, they, they said to each other, hey, this is not right. Th this is the day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, something is, is certainly going to happen to us. Come on, let, let's go back and tell the people what we found. See, church, the, the reality is we haven't just stumbled uh, upon food or gold in, in the midst of, of a famine. We've actually received the greatest news that humanity has ever heard. That your confident trust in him, because you belong to him, actually means that when you stand before God, you're, you're righteous. It's the gospel. It's the, the, the thing that you deserve, like death and punishment. It was taken for you by this one man, Jesus. And, and Paul is saying, hey, because of what I found, because I'm so being transformed, I, I have to share it with the world around me. Not just men, not just educated, not just the rich or the, or the wealthy, but to everyone. I have a debt. I, I've heard it in a lot of different uh, Christian groups over the, the last few years, um, good people that have, have really encountered Jesus, that they don't owe anything to anyone. It's not a biblical idea, church. When you encounter Jesus and when you would say, hey, I belong to him, everything changes. It, it, it no longer becomes about you. And I know that things are messy. So does Paul. I mean, think about the time that he's living in. You think that, that things are really bad right now? Man, Paul was in a, a time where it was insane. He's going to be beheaded in a few years after he writes this just for his faith. He's not panicked. He's not rushing around, freaking out. He's not preparing for the future. He's like a really bad investor. You wouldn't want like, it's a weird investment, right? Oh, he's so settled. Oh, he's so captivated by, by Jesus. He, he's so encouraging this group of people uh, in the world's most powerful city. Hey, man, you've got to continue. Just keep putting your faith in him. People are talking about it, church. 
What would it look like for you uh, in this new year to the world around you? What would it look like for you to not even have to worry and, and figure out like, well, how, because when you're a believer, you want people to know the gospel. You do. What would it look like for you to just stop even worrying about that? Your job is just to take your, your confident faith, your hope in something and put it in Jesus. That's it. And somehow we've tried to formulate all of these things. Well, what if I do this? And what if I do that? Hey, I, I get it. And Paul's going to take us through a journey of what it looks like when humanity walks away from God. He will. But he's so clear in, in the beginning. We haven't even gotten to his thesis. We don't have time. In, in verse 16 and 17, he gives us his, his thesis of Romans. This is a man who is so captivated by Jesus. I really think that's the place where we're supposed to live. There, there, there's, there's, there's nothing apart from Jesus that you will find that will satisfy your soul. That the world isn't waiting for something else. We're, we're, we're not giving them even an, a new idea. It's just the gospel. It's just a people group that would say, hey, I'm so captivated by him, and I've so chosen to put my faith and my trust in him. This is what I see when I, when I study the intro. I want to encourage you, uh, in verses 1 through 17, um, man, get in the scripture and, and study and write things out and, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. It's really hard for me, especially knowing Paul's history and studying some of the history to miss, like, man, these people are so captivated by Jesus. So will you do something? Will you stand with me? I just want to pray over you. I'll have the prayer team come up as well. Maybe you're here and you're like, hey, you're talking about this faith in Christ. I don't even understand what that means. Uh, these people that will stand up front uh, would love to just pray with you. They're going to wear these yellow lanyards, and they'd love to just bless you and pray with you. Um, but man, will you just put your hand on your heart for me? Uh, Jesus, I, I just pray over uh, every heart in this room right now. Uh, for every story in here filled with pain or hurt or frustration, we've, we first just stop and we say, God, thank you for your son. Uh, would you show us what it looks like to pray in a world that would seem like it's a bit crazy? Would you really show us what it means to be a people that belong to you, that have really just put our faith in you? Yes, yeah, so the Holy Spirit, for, for every situation that's going on, uh, for every heart, Lord, we, we talked about reconciliation with families, Lord. I just declare your, your son over every situation. Man, would you magnify the gospel of Jesus for us this year? What a, a, a new year to step into and say that I, I get to put my faith in Jesus. So right now as a church, we just do that. God, show us what it looks like uh, in our city, in, in Fort Collins, to be so captivated by your son. We have a desire that the gospel would flood Fort Collins. And so Jesus, we just we stand before you this morning and we just say yes to whatever you have. God, we, we repent as a people if we've ever put things above the gospel. Would you forgive us? Would you show us what it means just to be so captivated? by you.
We love you. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, love you, church. Bless you.